Hey, Mike. How are you? Not too bad. Apparently, we're trying to record an episode we did that didn't air because of bad audio quality. So let's try to recapture that magic. That's right. And I think it'll be a great episode, too. And I just want to remind everybody that we do have an event coming up in just a couple weeks here in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's going to be a Mike Cernovich Cigar Night. And, uh, and Mike Bolin. And Mike Bolin. Yeah, right, right. I, I am hosted by Mike Bolin. And uh, we're going to be doing this on a rooftop penthouse suite. 4,000 square foot penthouse. That's a big, that's, that's big by most any standards, I think. Yeah, you're a square footage guy. I'm not. So well, it's big, Mike. It's really big. We can smoke in the room, though. They're not going to like find us. Our smoke alarms aren't going to go off. I, you know, maybe the way that you smoke the cigars. I know you would like to have multiple cigars in one setting. That might right. set off the alarm. But no, it's got it, the patio or the balcony is so big. Okay. At this penthouse, that it has a swimming pool hanging off the edge of it. Oh, by the way, I tried to run an ad for it, and. It got flagged as a housing ad. Very weird. You know, there's all these algorithms people have. And, yeah. you know, people always go to social media, especially if they're more like conservative. Oh my God, I couldn't run my ad. And, and then you realize, no, the, these algorithms are just kooky. So if right. it has Cigar Night in a penthouse lounge, then you have to get approved to run housing ads to make sure you're FHA compliant, but you're not advertising. And then, you know, it, on, on manual review or whatever, they, they figure it out sometimes, but not always. Well, and somebody else told me that you can't do an ad for an event if you mention liquor of any form or cigars because it's smoking. You can mention them, but you can't sell them. So it's, if it's an event for, yeah, this is where being a lawyer, and this is, of course, why people are losing their minds. You have to be a lawyer to understand modern society. So you can have an event for cigar aficionados, but you can't advertise that you're going to be selling them, which fortunately nobody is. Right. So it's weird. Anyway, October 3rd, Las Vegas, Nevada. A bunch of people will be there. It'll be a good time. The link will be on the show notes on the website, mindsetsquared.com. Perfect. Yes. Let, okay. So let's, let's get into this episode, all right? So here it is. So people always ask me, especially me, about real estate, okay? And I get a lot of questions from new folks about, hey, how do I get into real estate? How do I start? I'm, you know, I, I'm brand new into it. Doesn't matter your age, okay? The age doesn't matter, but I, I'm brand new into it. How do I get started? I had this message from this guy and, and we went back and forth on, on the uh, direct message a little bit about it. He's like a UPS driver, FedEx or something like that. He's like, I've saved up $23,000. I want to get into real estate. I'm really, I, I really like to get into real estate investing. He had already done all his, you know, Google, you know, work about why, or, you know, it's a good idea to be in, in real estate investing or why it's not. So I was like, okay, uh, how do I do it? So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about in this episode. And I know, you know, you and I have talked about this before, and I don't know what your feelings are about whether, you know, real estate's a good idea or not for people to invest in. Uh, I certainly have my thoughts about it, and uh, I'll I'll just say this right from the beginning: I don't think that real estate is a great idea for everybody. You have to be a certain type of individual. There are a lot of nuances to it, and you know it's a job. But um, if you're not the type, you know that can handle, especially the 
uh, initial period of getting into real estate and being a real estate investor is is certainly not for everyone. You have to deal with tenant issues. You've got to deal with legal issues. You've got to deal with finance issues. How do I get a loan? How do I get a loan for an investment property is very different from, you know, getting a loan for the house that maybe you and your wife bought 13 years ago. Okay. Totally different underwriting standards, et cetera. Uh, tenant issues are different across every, you know, state in the United States. All 50 states have their own, you know, rules about that. And every country has their own rules about that. Some of them more lenient than others. You got to learn all this stuff. You know, it goes on and on. So there's a lot to it. But, you know, from an outsider looking in, Mike, what are your thoughts on on real estate investing for, for folks? Good idea, bad idea? Well, if you can take the liquidity hit, and lose up the cash flow and you think you're not going to need the money for three years and you deal with the right people, the right syndicate, then sure. But there's a lot of if, 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 if. A lot of people go, well, real estate always goes up. Well, you know, even if it goes up, how do you cash out, right? Let's say you buy a great property, you're up 10%. You're not even cash flow positive yet in the rental property or your partners are or one partner doesn't want to buy out. It's very complicated. And that's why with real estate, I, I always ask people, why don't you why don't you just put your money in a REIT? And they go, what's that? I go, REIT is REIT Real Estate Investment Trust, where you would it's just like buying an ETF or a mutual fund. You're buying into the real estate market. You don't lose the liquidity because if you need to, you know, sell out in a year from now or whatever, then you just sell, you just buy and sell shares. And most people don't even know what that is which I'm not insulting them. I'm just saying that if people are saying, I want to invest my money in real estate, it's like, okay, well, explain to me why that would be better than an REIT. And if you don't even know what an REIT is and you can't answer that question, then don't invest in anything because your level of sophistication isn't where it needs to be. And then also there's the most people who want to invest in anything, like make sure you pay down all your, your credit card because your credit card debt is 18 to 22%. You're not going to get 18 to 22% returns on your investment. So a lot of the best ways to invest is to pay down any kind of high interest loan you might have. Another way to invest. You're starting to sound like Dave Ramsey here. Or Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban said <laughs> somebody, um, somebody you, you always ask the question, how would you invest a thousand, 10,000, hundred thousand, a million? If you have a thousand, and this is a great answer from Mark Cuban, and I said it myself independently before I read it, which means it's probably right, is buy a Costco membership and buy in bulk. What do you mean? Well, you're going to save 25 to 35%. So if you just look at that in terms of like return on your investment, very unlikely you're going to get 35% annualized return, but you buy a Costco card, you buy things that you're going to use, right? And you buy them at a discount you've now made effectively a 25 or 30% return on your gain. And that's the best way to invest a thousand dollars. But people, so people need to think that way rather than jump into the, uh, you know, I want to, because it comes like monopoly money, magic money. I'm just going to put money in here and everything's going to go up magically. And I'll never have a liquidity crisis. I'll never have a medical emergency. I'll never need that money for 10 years when that's just not really the way the world works. So I think there is a there there is a good a really uh, interesting piece of advice in there, and that is is that a lot of real estate investors fail over time simply because of self control. Okay, so and I'm going to tell you I've owned a lot of properties over the years, and I've been guilty of this myself. 
okay? But let me give you a quick example. I buy a property uh, 10 years ago and I purchased that property. We're gonna keep numbers really simple here. I purchased that property for a hundred grand. Market's been really good. Market's been great. Property's gone up in value, yada, yada, yada. That property's worth $180,000 today. Plus, I've paid 10 years worth of mortgage payments and I've sent in a few extra payments here and there. So I only owe 50 grand on this thing. That's a lot of equity sitting there, right? Right. And then Mike comes to me or some other buddy of mine comes to me and says, hey, Mike, listen, I have got the deal of the century for you. We can import where there's a special license that allows us to import Cuban cigars. And we're going to be the only people in the United States that have the license. And do you want to get in on this? It's going to be about 110 grand to get in on it. Where are you going to get your 110 grand? But by the way, we need that by next Friday. Oh right. my gosh. Should I sell this property at a discount real quick and, and, and cash out and then go and chase this shiny object over here? And the answer for probably 95, 98% of all real estate investors is yes, they do it. <laughs> they, they actually do it. This is the problem. I cannot tell you how many times over the years I've talked to real estate investors who have been like, my father's one of them. I, I own this sixplex in this great neighborhood in, you know, in St. Louis, Missouri, and I bought it in 1978 for $60,000. It's worth a million five today. Unfortunately, I sold it four years later when I needed money for, you know, X, Y, or Z business. So it does take a lot of, of personal fortitude to hold on to the investment, especially as they start to go up in value and you see this, this you know, what real estate jargon would call unlocked equity inside the property. And you see these numbers and you're like, wow, you know, I paid down the mortgage X amount. And, you know, again, I, I it's, it's accelerated in value. It's, you know, and so it's hard not to cash out and jump into something else. And some people do the 1031 exchange route where they trade into another property. That's the smart thing to do. But most people actually cash out, take the money and do whatever they do with it. So with that said, Anyone, anyone can get rich in real estate, but you must have self-discipline like anything else, going to the gym or eating right or all these other things, right? You have to have that self-discipline. At the end of the day, it comes down to you and what you can do. And real estate's the exact same. If you can buy an asset and allow it to appreciate and, and take the little bit of cash flow that it provides you and do that over the course of many, many years, multiple decades even, then you can become very, very, very rich in real estate. The vast majority of people don't have the ability to do that. Right, and they're leveraging or they're not leveraging and there's, there's a lot to it. Yes. So let's get started here. I'm I, I'm a UPS guy. I've got 22 grand. And what do I do if I live in? And I believe this guy was coming from uh, Riverside, uh, which is you know down in Southern California. For for those that don't know, so it's tough to find. And I and I think that this is a, actually a great exercise because California is a, is an example where I hear a lot of people say, "Oh, you can't buy real estate in California. It doesn't make money if you do." I just want to tell everybody, every single piece of property that I own currently is in California. It makes a lot of money. Okay, so absolutely 100% it can be done in California. It's just you can't go into, say, you know, Laguna Beach and buy a duplex that's, you know, 800 feet from the beach and expect it to cash flow. Okay, that's not realistic, right? But here's how you can do it. You take your 22 grand and you're going to figure out where can I buy a property that only cost about $100,000. Okay, so like any, 
this is true anywhere, whether it be, you know, New York City or whether it be coastal California, there's certain X zones, if you will, that really shoot the value of real estate up. Okay. And so a beachfront California oceanfront property is worth a fortune. Everything, wherever it is in California, especially Southern California, if it's on the beach, on the sand, it's going to be 20 million and up, 20 million for a fixer. And up, and it could be upwards thirty-five, forty million dollars. That's obviously not going to cash flow. Okay, so you go to the next rung in. Okay, and we're now two blocks off the beach, and the prices are, but they still have a view of the water. We're now at anywhere from maybe three to eight million dollars. Okay, and the values keep going down the further away we move from the uh, from the oceanfront. And you can take this again, let's say you live in Memphis, Tennessee, as you move outward from the city core or you move outward from the ocean or whatever that X zone is, then the values start to drop. So in California, let's say that you personally live in Riverside, which I really don't even know where Riverside is, but start going east, move east. And eventually you're gonna to get to a town. It might be 30 miles away. It might be 45 miles away. It might even be 60 or 80 miles away. But you're gonna to get to this town somewhere where you can buy real estate in California that's around a hundred grand. Now it might be a mobile home on you know a quarter acre lot in a shitty area, but not crime ridden. It might be a condominium, it might be a single family home, okay? But you're gonna go and find this property for a hundred thousand dollars following me here mike yeah joshua tree at one point people were buying places for 120,000 150,000 even exactly and there's places like that all over california but you know extrapolate this out to the entire united states i mean again if you're in memphis tennessee you just move outward a little bit but i want you to try to find that property that's a hundred thousand dollars so that's kind of the benchmark it might be 80 it might be 90 it might be you know 110 120 but for this exercise almost anybody can do this if you got your $22,000 okay and what I'm going to do and I just want to say this right up front is on the show notes there's going to be a spot where you can get a list and so I'm going to put together actual checklist of you know that I can email out to people so if you want this checklist and I, there's no way that you and I can go into every single item that's on the checklist but I'm going to hit on some of these higher points you know that that just makes sense and I'll send that out to you. You can find that in the show notes for this particular episode. Okay, so you're going to go out. You're going to find this $100,000 property. Well, what do I do? How do I do it? There's plenty of lenders out there, okay, that will allow you to borrow 90% of the value of the property, okay? So in this exercise, you're going to borrow $90,000. You're going to be putting $10,000 down. Part of the checklist that I'll send you is going to say, hey, Let's not go out and buy real estate if you've got a 350 FICO score and your car just got repossessed, right? I mean, part of this is, you know, again, you're the guy, you work at UPS, you've got relatively decent credit. You don't even need a 700 FICO score to pull this off. 580, I believe 580 or 560. I'm not a mortgage lender, but, you know, that stuff changes all the time. But roughly roughly speaking, if you have a 560 or 580 FICO score, which isn't even that great, uh, you can get this loan, okay, with a $10,000 down payment. So you're going to take your 10,000, that's going to leave you with $13,000, okay? So that $13,000 is going to be replace the carpet, maybe, hopefully you find something that doesn't need much work, if any work, but you're going to have issues, okay? You're going to have vacancy factors, you're going to have, you know, a $500, you know, thermostat that you're going to have to put on the property, et cetera. 
but this is property number one. You're going to get your tenant in there. One of the tenants of, uh, maybe, and maybe that's the wrong word to mix these, but one of the points of this strategy is that your, your asset in a long-term rental property situation, your asset must produce 1% of the value per month, a 1% rule. Okay, so you got a $100,000 property, it has to make $1,000, okay? Now, condominiums, you're gonna have to go up a little bit because they have HOAs. Now, this would be for a single family home or a mobile home that's on its own land, et cetera, that you can get, but 1% per month. If you deviate from that, you will go broke. Okay, it's very simple. 1% is the bare minimum. Many of my properties over the years are two and a half percent or something like that, but you need 1%, okay? Now, the other thing you're gonna need is you're gonna need a realtor. And this is an interesting component because a lot of people come to me and they're like, well, you know, my cousin is a lender, my cousin is a realtor, okay. And Mike and I, 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 we've talked about this in person before. I don't think we've ever talked about it in a podcast, but you know, that's great. Everybody's got the, uh, the friend that's in the real estate sector in some form or fashion. This is a hundred thousand dollar property. If your realtor's lucky, they're going to be getting 2,500 to $3,000. And the, and I want you to find a realtor who's actually very competent. We're not going to be doing referral fees to your aunt who lives in Mississippi. That's not going to happen. You want the realtor in this case to get every single penny they can out of this transaction because they're not earning jack squad anyway. Okay. So no referrals. You're going to find that realtor and I'm going to walk you guys through on the checklist how to find it. But there's a tech technique that you can use on Zillow that allows you to search for the very best agents in a market and then how to get call that that list down to two or three people. I can guarantee you that if you show me a town where the houses are maybe selling for $180,000 and you can pick up some rental houses for 90, 100, 110. The guy that's selling 100 units per year in that town, he probably has about 10 or 15 houses in his hip pocket that are about to go on the market or will be going on the market in three months. If you're sending him a referral fee transaction, you're not gonna get access to that. Because why the hell would he use that on you? Right, right. Right, there's not enough money in it. So you want this guy to be giving you his attention or woman, whatever. Uh, you want this realtor to be giving you their full attention and you're going to get their full attention by paying full price. Okay. And that's 3%, but that's actually paid by the seller, but you want them, you want that agent to be earning the whole thing. And again, I'm going to break this down in more detail on the checklist. I'm not going to completely, you know, make Mike fall asleep here on the details, but, uh, <laughs> but the other thing you're going to want to do is get a loan, which we talked about any realtor that's selling 100 units or more in a town that like this has a friend or actually has a colleague that is a lender, okay? Any realtor worth their salt has a preferred lender. Uh, realtors and lenders, since the Dodd-Frank law, are required to have a document called an MSA, which is a marketing services agreement. And so what happens is the uh, lender wants to get referrals from this really hot real estate agent. That's how lenders make money, right? They, they do loans for people. How do they get those loans? Well, they can advertise online. They can send out postcards. But one of the big sources for a good mortgage lender is a good realtor. And so a good lender and a good realtor typically pair up. 
So you're going to have a superstar lender working with a superstar agent. And how are you going to find the superstar lender? By going through your superstar agent. These two kind of people find each other. It's true well, it's, in any market. And that and that's we've talked about networks and everything is networking is about finding a node. You find one node and then that node has five or 10 different nodes. So like my friends of mine who do well as real estate, they have the preferred VA guy. They have their preferred a commercial real estate guy. They and they only and by the way, they only work with these people. So if Correct. you come, if you come to them like, well, you know, I want to do this deal, and they're like, well, how many millions of dollars are you going to give us? Well, you know, I'm going to mortgage this. They're like, no, no, no. If you want to come to us all cash, million dollars, you can bring you know whoever you know at the local bank that you want to work with. But otherwise, they deal with people they deal with, and that's it. Yes, and so as a any good realtor will direct their folks to their preferred lender. And why? Because the preferred lender has already been vetted by this superstar agent. Last year, he might've done, you know, out of all the loans or all, all the houses he sold, let's just keep it at a hundred houses that the guy sold last year. Probably 82 of those loans were done by this lender. Do you think that that uh, particular realtor has leverage with that lender? Well, of course he does. I mean, of, of course he does. He's, he's one of his best customers. So, Again, you're going to get the best service by going through the preferred lender. I understand that your brother just got his, you know, mortgage license, you know, a month and a half ago and he's working at Wells Fargo. That's not the guy you're going to use. And you just explained to your brother why. Okay. I'm, I'm using this guy's preferred lender, you know, and it's part of the network. That's who you use. And a lot of times I'll tell you the really, really good um, realtor folks out there will not even work with you unless you use their preferred vendors because they know that their preferred vendors are the ones that are going to be able to get the transaction done and speed it up okay i mean there's a joke in the industry a lot of people like to use this online mortgage thing called rocket mortgage and the joke is is that the mortgage explodes right at closing <laughs> So anyway, you use the preferred uh, lender because these things do tend to explode, okay, uh, at closing if you're not doing that. So, and I'll, and I'll, again, it'll be on the checklist on how to do all this stuff. Okay, so you're going to get this preferred lender. You're going to, he's going to find you a house. It's probably going to be off market. It might need new carpeting and maybe new paint, but that's about it, okay? $100,000. And what else does the, uh, you know, this superstar realtor have? He's got a really great property manager if you need it, okay? Most likely, you're not even gonna need it on your first one, but if you're the type that wants to do that or maybe you travel a ton for work or you're a single guy and you're gonna say, hey, you know what? I don't need my yield to be very high on this first deal. I just wanna get in. Then maybe you hire a property manager. And again, your superstar realtor is gonna have a superstar property manager that he can put leverage on that's gonna give you white glove service where everybody else might not necessarily get that white glove service. And in addition, he's probably gonna be able to get you a little bit of a discount on the fees. So all this stuff, and, and again, this all emanates from using the right person from the beginning. And your node, if you will, like Mike says, your node into or your segue into this investment is that that superstar realtor that works in that market. Okay. And um, okay, so we've got all that stuff done. You're going to buy the property. Now, what do you do? I've got the property and it's, it's producing income. And now at this point, 
honestly, you're going to sit on that property and now you've got your first uh, real estate investment and it's, it's paying you cash and you're in the market and you can figure out if you actually like being in this business or not now that you're doing it. And I started this very same way um, many, many, many years ago. Uh, doing, you know, a very small transaction. And this is how people can do it is, is over time you'll lever up and we can talk about that, you know, in other episodes. But I people want to like go out and they want to do this $10,000 seminar or, you know, read 32 books about this. And, you know, they read the Robert Kiyosaki book, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then all of a sudden they want to do the rental property and then they read 32 books on that. It really is as simple as what I'm laying out here. And when I send you that checklist, which is like super, super easy, you follow that checklist that's how you get your first property and everything literally builds from there but it's not an overnight you know you're not going to get rich and be a you know uh grant cardone level real estate baller or a donald trump you know real estate success story uh overnight i mean this takes time dedication uh to your craft and you know, parlaying that money from one asset to the next asset and continually building your portfolio. And you can do that through advanced strategies like using a 1031 exchange where you can sell the property that maybe is appreciated, say that $100,000 property, you know, in, in seven years from now, because you used this great agent, he got you in it below market. So the property was really worth 130, you paid 100 for it, you know, and then it's gone up in value some. So maybe it's worth close to 200 grand now. That's a $200,000 capital, long-term capital gains. But if you do a 1031 exchange, you can avoid 100% of those taxes and go into a higher yielding asset that's gonna produce more money. And if you continue to do that and not take the cash out, then you'll find yourself, you know, 20 years down the road, 15 years down the road with substantial cash flow. And you know, equity-wise, you'll be very, a very, very wealthy man. Long, it's a long play though. That's the issue, it's a long play. It's a long play and it does take a lot of, um, you know, personal uh, internal fortitude not to sell those properties or those little little properties. I mean, if, again, if you're working at UPS making 65, 70,000 a year and all of a sudden you fast forward in time, you know, several years, five, six years down the road or whatever it is, and that property is worth, you know, 120,000 combined with the equity that you, you know, the loan you've paid down plus the uh, appreciation, that's two years salary for, for this guy, right? And so it's pretty tempting to pull that out and go on a really great vacation and spend it on goofy stuff uh, or maybe a, uh, you know, that bright, shiny object uh, business that uh, you probably shouldn't be in. So anyway, and then, you know, then there's other strategies and there's other ways to get involved with, with uh, real estate investing. I mean, you know, you talked about the REIT thing. There are um, private equity funds as well. You know, Mike and I have, have talked about setting up something like that where, you know, uh, Mike has done these events in the past where you've paid, you know, what, $60,000, $70,000 for event space. And, you know, there's, there's a whole nother deal out there with many, many people, not you know, just us, but there's there's a lot of opportunities out there where you can get into a private equity fund that maybe is purchasing a building, purchasing a strip mall, purchasing a, an event center, something like that. And you can, you know, buy a portion of that. A lot of times these things have a $50,000 buy-in, but some of them are as, as inexpensive as $5,000. And you could pool your money with other investors. Um, often these are only available to accredited investors or under new, you know, um, uh, there are 
There's ways to legally raise money where you can bring in uh, non-accredited investors as well. And that's kind of a new convention in the, in the fundraising industry for real estate. But there's real estate opportunities out there, literally where you could get in. Um, you know, Mike could set up, you know, he's an attorney, but he could set up a, a uh, private placement memorandum, do a, a private equity fund. And Mike could say, hey, we're going to buy this uh, event space in Scottsdale, Arizona. And, you know, minimum buy-in is $5,000 or something, you know, and, and one guy might buy 100000 uh, worth and the next guy only buys 5000 worth. But that's a way that you can participate in real estate. Yeah, there's a lot of ways. But again, if people are listening, they're like, well, that sounds complicated. The answer is, well, it is and good. Um, I'm glad it sounds complicated because I don't want anybody, especially someone where their life savings might be 30% of their annual salary. Right. I don't want them becoming completely illiquid, rushing into what they think is a good investment, not realizing that there is still a speculative aspect to it that's still complicated. There's a lot to it. You need to be doing your homework. I would rather, I always tell people, they go, what should I do? Right. Um, it ties into investing or even like windfalls. I've had people come to me with a substantial inheritance. Yes. And they said, what should I do with my money? And I said, nothing. They go, what do you mean? I go, for a year, do nothing live just the same way they're like well but i'm losing out on da, 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 da. it's like calm down you know calm down right the market will be here a year from now you, you, whatever you think you might lose you might actually avoid losses you don't know it's all speculation at this point there could be a major market correction you know we've been cooking for years who knows however people they want to do real estate i would just say every weekend you, you know take four hours out of your weekend drive around, look at properties. And you and I had actually talked about that in uh, Bucharest, where you are going to create a checklist of what you would send people to look for. Everything from the, um, if you're looking at a commercial property, well, where are the stoplights? Which yes. way you know, is it north? Which way does the traffic go? Because a gas station might be better here relative to a fast food restaurant. I would just say, go spend four hours a day looking at properties. And if that bores you, good. If, if after two or three weeks of that, you're bored out of your mind, good. Uh, find something else that you're willing to spend four hours a day on for a Saturday. And, right. and then eventually you'll find out what you want to do. And then you'll find opportunities. And then you'll be able to better leverage your money. You know, I, I always say that the op there's so much opportunity out there and, and people really underestimate this. And it, I, it's why people get bitten by that bright, shiny object syndrome is they want to get on this next great thing. It, it, I'm sure I, I don't know who said this or where I picked it up along along the road, but the deal of the century comes along every week. And that is so true. And the more success that you have, the more opportunities that come your way, the more people want you to invest in their thing, whatever it is. And there's always things that you, you really have to, most things you say no to. And it's hard to do that because you, hey, I want to help a friend out or, hey, I, this is really a cool you know thing to get involved in. But it really has to have some kind of really great X factor to draw me in as an investor. And, and there's a lot out there. There really is, but there's a lot of great things and, and real estate's just a one little piece of it. So, I mean, if you're really into, you know, whatever, uh, you know, whether it be cameras or whether it be, you know, laundry or whether it be cars or whatever it is, there's so much opportunity out there and you really have to find what that passion is. I mean, my 17 year old son is really hot on click funnels right now. 
I can't stand that stuff, right? I mean, I hire that out in a heartbeat. I don't want to learn how to do click funnels. And I'd probably be bad at it because I'm not that interested in it. But some people really, really like those things and there's opportunity there, you know? And he started flipping over rocks and he's like, man, these people are willing to pay me $400, you know, an hour to build them a, a click funnel. And, you know, so there's so much out there to do. Uh, find the thing that you like. And I like that idea of driving around on the weekends and looking at real estate. If that's what gets your goat, if that's what really makes you excited, then great, then maybe you're in the right thing. For most people, that's probably not the case. They should avoid investing in real estate or buy a REIT or buy, you know, there's there's a hundred other different things to do. Yeah, I remember when this was, I don't know, 15 years ago, but you would, if you had a protein shaker bottle, they all leaked and I don't know why. And I tried one, that didn't leak. And I thought, this is amazing. I didn't have the money at the time, but I said, this is going to be a huge company at the time. It was like very small. You could only order directly from their shop and blender bottle. Okay. They're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. And that's why I train people so often to just look at there's opportunity everywhere. Oh, this is a cool uh, shaker bottle, right? Most people just say, oh, this is a good shaker bottle. Now, now you wouldn't want to invest because it's everywhere. But occasionally you'll say, oh, this is interesting. You know, what's really going on with it? Oh, it's kind of a niche product. I think this has real potential. Then you reach out to the company owners, try to talk, maybe make out a deal that, that makes sense to you or not. But that's seeing opportunity everywhere. And you can find opportunity even in your own hobbies and activities. Right. Absolutely. So that's that's probably a great way to end it. But again, go to the show notes, check it out. Uh, I'll have a spot there where you can download this list if you're truly interested in the in the real estate thing. And, you know, a, if you are really interested in the real estate thing, then show up at our event in Las Vegas on October 3rd. And I'm happy to talk with you for hours on end about it there. Usually that's what happens at those events. All right. We'll talk to you all later. Okay. Bye-bye.